This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Furminger. And this is episode 99 of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. And it makes perfect sense for me that for our Wayne Gretzky episode, Wayne Gretzky was number 99 in case you're like me and don't do sports, that I'm joined by a great one of the Vancouver film and television scene, Mr. John Johnny Cassini. Good segue. John's bit. Well, thank you for mentioning when I told you that we were doing episode 99. You're like, oh, Wayne Gretzky. I'm like, oh, cool, a sports thing. So John's been on the podcast before in episode four, to be exact. And he spoke about his journey from Toronto's rough and tumble. We can call Christy Pitt's rough and tumble, right? Rough and tumble neighborhood. Sure. (laughs) To defining roles on intelligence and Robson Arms and his current life as a busy actor, in-demand teacher, producer, and union organizer. That's safe to call you that, right? You're... Uh, I'm on the executive (laughs) board of UBCP. There you go. Yeah. Union. Go union. Um, That was just over a year ago, though. And John has Mm -hmm. been busy with a capital B since then. And last month... It was announced that John is up for not one, not two, but three 2020 Leo Awards for acting. And honestly, the three roles could not be more different. He's nominated for playing a grieving father in Anthony Shim's searing drama, Daughter. He's nominated for playing a strange but brilliant writer in the horror film, True Fiction, and he's nominated for playing a sketchy dude on the bad end of a high gone sideways in the mind-bending sci-fi thriller, Volition. So today we're going to continue our conversation about the work, capital T, capital W, and about working with family, because two of those products, in, projects in particular, John was working with family. One sharing incredible scenes with his incredible wife, Jen McLean Angus, and one trading barbs with his brother, who is playing his cousin, Frank. Well, it was his brother's Frank. I forgot the cousin's name. We're going to talk about how he has spent the core, also known as the quarantine times, and the entertainment he's consumed during that that time, and where he's planning to take us all next. John Cassini. Johnny, my friend, Hi. welcome so back to, to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm pretty honored to be number 99. 99. It's pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet for a hockey fan. It's even sweeter. And the last time, I haven't seen you in a long time, so uh, hi, hi, hi. Hi. Yeah, yeah, I think the 
It was very exciting because I think the last time I went out with a group was actually to see a movie that you were in yeah. uh, at the Rio. And there was a nice group of uh, film and TV people there that night. And it was it was good. But we're, we're slowly coming out of it, slowly coming yeah. out of it, um, which I guess brings me to my first mm. question, which used to be just a way to start a conversation, but now it is a big question of our age. How are you? Oh, wow. I'm good. You know, I think I've, uh, I think we've been navigating the quarantine the best we can here at my house. And I think we're all in good spirits and good health, gratefully. So, but it's been a, it's been a crazy ride, as you know, right? <laughs> I, 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 uh, a lot of things happened during the quarantine, you know, um, some personal stuff happened. My mom got, um, admitted to the hospital and we were all worried that maybe it was COVID. Oh. So she went into the hot, she's 89 in August. And so she went into the hospital, um, with some like breathing heart palpitation type things and turned out it wasn't COVID. It, it's this thing she had going on with her heart a little and they had to just adjust her, her meds and, um, and then a week later, she was um, dismissed from the hospital, and she's at home, and she's healthy, knock on wood. And oh, so, knocking all the I, wood. Wow. Yeah, so so we navigated that. That that got scary really fast because yeah. of how old she was, and she was rushed to the hospital by ambulance, so that was scary. And, not, and my brother, who lives in Toronto, couldn't couldn't go see her. No one could see her because of the, the rules. So there was that, and, you know, and... Like yourself, I'm homeschooling kids, and oh. one of them. Yeah, I know. And one of them, it's it's it was it's been one of the hardest things I've ever done. In my what? Life. But you're you. I mean, I am. I think I'm a good mother. I'm a damn good mother. I'm yeah. a shitty teacher. You at least. I mean, you are a teacher. Like, has that uh, not was, prepared it, you it, at it, all? It, yeah, it was very. <laughs> it was very different, though. Um, the curriculum that was set up was all very Google Classroom and all very electronic and I think they made the mistake where they feel that the parents had all this time to to, to, to decipher it off with the kids when the parents were, were hustling and trying to keep things afloat. So we switched the curriculum we call it, we talked to the we talked to the school and we kind of created our own curriculum that yeah. had a little bit of balance that had to do with um, exercise and reading and a little bit of math and you know touching on some of the important elements of education but also really going with the flow of the day yeah and the mental health of my 10 year old went through the roof in the positive way like oh excellent from, oh from having good. a couple of meltdowns every day to uh really adjusting because you know uh, there's there, we, we're all caring and we all did for for a while they're a very low grade grief you know that was mm. happening because i know for a lot of people they lost jobs i lost a few acting jobs my mm. kid wanted to do track and field and was in the school play that they were about to start and yeah. all of those things and that just all went away really really fast yeah. so yeah. yeah it was the same for mari like her musical theater performance that first weekend of you know covid it was canceled you know yeah, yeah. and i found like i i do give like a hat tip to the school board and the teachers for like sure. figuring out something, right. you know, because they didn't plan for this, but it was all triage, you know, and it, it just what they offered was not it, it didn't nurture 
my kid anyway. So we did something very similar, but I just, I, I, once I was able to name what I was feeling as grief, I actually had, I was able to be like, oh, okay, this isn't normal and I can be sad. And naming it actually helped me. I don't know if it was the same for you because I was feeling like, you know, we have a roof over our heads. We have food. Like, why am I so desperately sad? It was like, oh, because everything isn't normal. And the life that I had, that we all had, it doesn't exist anymore, you know? So that was, but as far as, um, you know, I mean, we, we work in the entertainment business. Uh, Mm -hmm. you, we, we, I mean, we both make content. Um, the whole thing kind of just shut down. Uh, what role has the arts and has entertainment played in your life? During this time of of the core, I'm trying to get the core to catch on. The core. Yeah. I, um, <laughs> well, you know, burning through Netflix. If that if that means anything, uh, it means a lot. It means yeah. okay. I asked because I tweeted that I am finally making my way through uh, Sons of Anarchy. Right. And then you're yeah. like, I watched all seven seasons in I June. Did. I watched I watched seven seasons in a month. Uh, you know, I know a couple of people on it. Dayton Callie was someone who was in my first movie that my brother and I wrote and was shot in oh. L.A. Uh, Kim Coates is a friend. Yeah. Uh, Mark Boone Jr. I did a movie with in Vancouver. And I always knew about this show, and it was kind of on the tail end of intelligence. I think it was a little bit, it, it was starting when intelligence ended or, or, or along those lines. It, it maybe a little overlap. Yeah. And I think it was on Fox or FX. FX, I yeah. I didn't have the channel or something, so I didn't really get on it. And um, and then I started it, and uh, I was just voracious, you know. I, I, I watched six, seven, eight episodes a night, um, <laughs> you know, late into the night. I was staying up really late, I, it, you know, because uh, uh, I just couldn't, I just really couldn't get enough. And then I would have a season ender. But even though it was late, I needed to watch the beginning of the next season because I just needed to not wait. Yeah. Uh, and I, um, you know what? If it, that 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 show was brilliant in its. There's an intangible, tangible but intangible essence or psych psychology of outlawness and freedom and 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 i mean i know these guys are criminals and all that but it kind of gets under your skin yeah. of living on the fringes a little bit of 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 you know a particular freedom and these guys they did some bad shit just like you know we did an in intelligence or but they're the good guys because there's a bit of a there's a moral code there at least amongst most of them and it's complicated but I just thought the acting was terrific, really terrific. Mm. Um, I, you've really put your finger on something, I, and I'm so glad to have the opportunity to speak with an an actor, a, a director, a teacher about this because I I'll admit, like the reason that I didn't watch this before was because it was about a motorcycle gang, and I in my mind I'm like it's not going to be for me. It's not. It's gonna, and I assumed it was going to be. Um, gratuitous violence and gratuitous nudity. And I'm like, oh, they're going to treat their women characters poorly. And but then I got really into um, Kim Coates's other work, you know, like I, I watched first I watched Ghost Wars and then I watched Bad Blood. And I was like, oh, 
And so funny, Sharon Taylor just sent me a message. <laughs> it just showed up on my phone. As I mentioned, Bad Blood. She was the reason, you know, I started watching it. I'm like, holy shit. So I went back and I'm like, I watched it. And what? There is something universal and sh- like, Shakespearean like what I love about you know a lot of the period dramas you know from England and what I loved about like the Sopranos and what I love about all these other shows is like it's this universality of of all of us trying to figure out what it means to be human and live life on our own terms and Mm -hmm. I like please I'm only near the end of season one no spoilers but I I like there were moments where he's I actually was like, wow, I, I think I dig anarchy. Like, I think I could, you know, that kind of freedom is, yeah. is pretty cool. They have a, they're in a lot of ways, they're way more pure and they're way more um, principled than all the, all the people who are within the, you know, the systems, you know, working in that government bureaucracy and all of that. So anyway, but what's, yeah. I, I, what I found really interesting though, is, um, I would not have even given the time and space for this show had it not been for the pandemic, you know, like it's, this is really kind of forced me to, cause I, I was like, okay, I've, I've almost watched everything on Netflix. This is the last thing I need to watch. And wow, like it just, it's blown my mind. So like the good thing that has come out of the pandemic is I'm watching stuff I, I wouldn't have watched before. And Charlie Hunnam is so magical. You know, I almost worked with Charlie Hunnam on, on something once and it didn't happen. And, and I, I wasn't really aware of his work, but he's, he's pretty magical. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I enjoyed that a lot. I enjoyed it a lot. And, yeah. Um, yeah, so I think you're in for a really credible ride, actually. Ooh, exciting. Yeah, you you're in for an incredible ride, yeah. That means a lot coming from you. Um, and we'll talk a bit more about the COVID uh a little bit later, but I, I'd like to talk about um, a couple of the roles that you're nominated for Leo's for. First of all, congratulations! Oh, thank you. Um, thank it, you. I'm gonna miss. I mean, I'm so I am so grateful that we're all so healthy, and then BC is doing so well with our curve planking the curve, breaking the curve. Um, right. But I'm, I, I mean, I love the Leos. I love going and sharing space with everybody. So, and damn it, this would have been a good year to hang out with and cheer on John Cassini. That's for sure. Um, but, you know, I, I know that uh, when we spoke last year, we talked about um, defining roles in your career uh, where your roles on intelligence and on, Rops and arms, and as somebody who is a fan of your work, I and I when I think of you doing the work, I think that your role in Daughter, you know, mm-hmm. is for me one of my joins that pantheon of John Cassini ultimate roles, you know, um, just as far as you know what we've had the opportunity to to see you do, you know, and yeah. and also that you got to share screen time with Jen McLean Angus uh, mm-hmm. is pretty remarkable. So I, like, how do you look at that role? Like, do you feel the same way about it that I, as like one of your biggest fans, you know, uh, things yeah, about kind. it? Uh, yeah. You know, um, it's, a, it's special to me. That role is special to me for a lot of reasons. Um, it's that it um, grew out of Railtown Actors studio, my studio that, it, that it grew out of there. It grew out of, um, workshopping the script that one of my 
students who became a teacher. Anthony Shim is the one who wrote it and directed it. We produced it together. Um, you know, um, that it was very much a lot of uh, Railtown people um, in front of the camera and behind the camera yeah. helping out. We shot that movie in 12 days Ugh, in the dead of winter it. in December. I know. And, and you know, um, the beauty about doing independent films, especially if you're developing some of the – if you're developing the script. Like sometimes you just get hired and you go to work like everybody else. But, you know, Daughter was one of these um, scripts where I was able to – I had a little bit of time to prepare – Mm. And and really sort of uh, work through a little bit of osmosis and and really kind of um, uh, develop the character uh, in ways that you you just need time for you know and just in ways of just sitting with things and letting things brew and and not rushing to making choices about how you're going to play this or how you're going to play that but just allowing the given circumstances of everything that 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 is going on in the story to to affect you and. And we had a little bit of rehearsal in that way. And so, it, you know, it's special. It was special to me in, in a lot of those ways. And it was, and it was, um, you know, it was, a, it was one of those roles that are really difficult to play, um, but you love playing them. Yeah. You know, uh, because it does ask uh, a lot of you. And you do have to go to places as someone who's a father. Uh, places that you don't really want to go, yeah, uh, because you know he loses his daughter in it, and um, and and yet you know as an actor you kind of want to go there. So um, it was really special. Those twelve days were some of the most special shooting days of my life, and wow. I could have shot like we all we all talked about like this was now the we could have just shot that forever, right? <laughs> and working with Jen was amazing. She's one of my favorite actors, and so that is. That was that was fantastic. Uh, working with uh, Tegan and Gabrielle Rose and Ryan Robbins was also really incredible. It's very small cast, but but uh, actors I really love and trust that we got to handpick. One of the things that we really worked hard on as producers is to make sure that we had locations that didn't make it look like we were doing a cheap film and shooting it in our, our mother's basement. Like so, we worked hard at getting a really good looking hotel. We worked hard at making sure. Our house, Jen and I's house that we used to live in when we were a happy family was very affluent and, and showed that we were all sort of, you know, seemingly doing very well. And, Such a and nice the, house. That yes. kitchen? Yes. I, I dream about that kitchen. <laughs> it's a, it, what, what's crazy is that's our investors. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, you know, um, that's yeah, that, that sounds, I mean, that's what you want to do, right? You want to make an indie film that the independent aspect of it is the content and not the production value. Yeah. yeah. What is a mark of success then with that? Like, what is, what do you need from a, a film that you work on that's a passion project? You know, is it a festival run? Is it awards and acclaim yeah. like what you've had? Or is it? Is it just seeing it on the screen and being like, that's exactly what we were picturing? Yeah, I mean, I think that's number one. I yeah. think I think the number one thing is going is screening the film. Like that screening, that hometown screening we had at the Vancouver Playhouse, which I had done a play on that same stage. Yeah. Where, yeah, where, um, you know, so many people came out to support us. Like it really felt like a, a, a community, like... And then to to be proud of the film and to 
and to feel very much like this is the film we set out to make. Yeah. I think that's probably your number one goal because you can't really control if it's going to sell, if it's going to, you know, uh, you don't, you know, independent dramas that don't have vampires or wolves or, or, you know, uh, things of sci-fi nature or, or, or a genre like a horror film, you know, they're difficult to, they're difficult to sell. Yeah. And, um, and everyone's making films now because the technology is, is so advanced that a lot of great minds, great writers can get a camera and, and, and make a film. And so the content, there's so much more content. So the competition out there is, is pretty fierce. So, you know, our investor said, just make a movie that you feel proud to make and we'll figure out the rest about, you know, sort of. And so he gave us, so we didn't feel like we had to check off some boxes. Not that we would know what those boxes were because hmm. nobody really nobody really knows anything. But that we tried to check off some boxes because, oh, this will sell, this will sell, this will sell. It's a very, very tough subject matter, right? Like not yeah. everybody's up for. I had a lot of friends I had to warn because I kind of know who they are that I said, just so you know, the content is A, B, and C. And they said, you know, some of them even with that screening, some of them texted me or called me and said, I got to say, I just, I can't, I'm not up for it, man. I can't come. And I'm like, I totally get it. Yeah. I totally get it. And a lot of people rushed home to their kids after, you know. So it, it it's a challenging movie that way. I feel really proud of it. I don't we don't know yet. You know, we have we're waiting to hear on some streamers that are looking at it to to distribute it. Yeah. Getting seven Leo nominations helps, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I guess it just depends what's out there. Um, so, yeah, we're waiting. We're waiting on that. I mean, you know, the good thing about. You don't make any money, but the good thing about independent films, too, right now is because of all the streaming abilities people can just put it on itunes and be like hey or you know i mean the holy grail honestly seems to be like you sell it to netflix yeah. you sell it to netflix they don't give you a fortune for it but at least the world sees it yeah because it's on netflix so you know um but we'll see um and you know something like volition right like i was on early stages of volition reading scripts and a year later, reading another script. So I was I was around for some of the development of my character in the in the script with Tony, to see that movie, basically win an award at every single festival that they've gone to, Ama including just, the Philip K. Dick Festival. Yes, right. Amazing. It's, it's just amazing. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that has an opportunity to really get a lot of eyeballs because it's a genre film. You know, it's a sci-fi thriller. And because it won all those awards, I guess when, you know, it's out there and I know it's coming out July 10th, it's, it's going to all the streaming places. When people read about it and they see all that, I think that and, and it's a genre pick. Um, I hope it does really well for those guys. You yeah. know, I hope it does really well for us, too. I mean, we're all we're all part of it. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I do want to say one more thing about daughter. However, yes. before we move into Volition, oh, I yeah, am I am one of these very emotional, sensitive people who gets really scared when I'm about to watch something that's quote unquote hard. And daughter, I mean, it has some it has some tough subs. I mean, I have an only child who is a daughter, just like in the yeah. film, you know, and then there's also some other tough stuff that you learn about, you know, over the course of the film. 
However, I watched this film twice, including once in an audience surrounded by people and then once, you know, by myself. And like, it felt, it wasn't hard for me to watch, you know, it was cathartic. It's like the reason that mm-hmm. I, it, it hit those boxes of like why I love to watch tragedy in theater. And there were moments yeah, where my yeah. body was responding in the way that, I mean, it also might have been because I was watching it in the Playhouse where I've watched some good theater, but even when I'm watching yeah. it here in my bedroom, you know, I, it's what like it was, it's, oh my God, I, I'm, I can't even form coherent sentences. It was just such a, yeah. a cathartic experience, you know, and I really feel that right now we need there's so much out there that is awful in the world. And, you know, and then there's also things that numb us to so much stuff, you know, like social media or alcohol or whatever. So to sit in feelings and have a journey from A to B, I highly recommend it. You will cry at daughter, but it will be a good cry. You'll be better yeah. for it. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't and want people to be scared lot, to watch this film. Credit, a lot of that credit goes to also... Anthony, you know, the director, because yeah. uh, Anthony Shim, uh, the tone of it and the pacing of it. And he was, you know, he was, it was, it was on the page, man. When I read it, I, you know, I, I, I wept when I read it and hmm. I just thought, you know, it, it had a voice. It had a particular voice. It had a particular pacing, a, a, a particular gravita, like it just, and, you know, I said to him early on, I just want to make the film you want to make. I don't want to make a film by consensus, you know, because I was at that time, I've done a couple of these features. I was stepping away a little bit from some of the TV stuff that was going on out there. Um, just uh, wanting to just do some some work that I felt, uh, you know, I'm like, when I have to do my, like, when I'm gone and there's my my legacy or my canon or my, my body of work, mm-hmm. um, no. I, I, it can't all be, you know, uh, guest stars and, and so on and so forth. And so throughout the years, I've been lucky to make some films, but I hadn't made some films in a while where I was playing leads. And so it was nice to get. And now they've all come out at the same time and I'm fortunate <laughs> enough to be nominated for these Leos. But but uh, yeah, so I think I think I appreciate that because I do feel like I'll just say one more thing. The one thing we always talked about was we love films that are difficult to watch but resonate with you long after you've watched them. I, 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 don't, yeah. I don't really, I don't, I don't really like films that when you walk out, you could just talk about anything and be like, where do you want to eat? And nobody really wants to discuss the film because it was all fast food and it all happened really quick. Um, you know, I like films that stay with you. I'll, I'll never forget the film that changed my life in that way was um, Boys in the Hood. You know, I watched Boys in the Hood and I remember I walked, yes. I walked with my friend for, about 30 minutes down, down, like we were walking back to our neighborhood or whatever from seeing the movie and nobody spoke. Hmm. We just didn't speak. We just kept walking because I, it just, it resonated with me so intensely. So hmm. yeah, man. Um, so That's we'll a journey. Yeah, it's a journey. It's a it's journey. Volition. Volition. Voli- okay. I mean, you're aware I'm a nerd. I'm a sci-fi nerd. This you hits are, a lot yeah. of things that I love, um, in, like included. And I'm, we are not going to do big spoilers because there's a lot that's that's uh, 
woven into like it's a very it's a tight story with a lot of layers to it um you know and the cast is incredible uh i however loved most of all I think also because I know you both, but it was so wonderful to see you sharing screen time with your brother. So can yeah. you please talk to me about working with Frank? And because um, um, I also in our previous episode, if listeners have listened to that episode, this is the brother that John went to see in New York, you know, at the in his earliest days as an actor, you know, like you've been kind of walking Closely yeah. together on He's your... He's my older brother. Yeah. <laughs> He's my older brother, and he, he moved to New York before I went there, and he kind of paved the way a bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's always good working with Frank, you know? Uh, we've done... We've written together. We have a, actually a film in development right now that we're developing together. Um, we, we have done... We've been on stage together. We've been... Uh, in films together, and we've been in television shows together. Not always playing brothers, sometimes playing cousins, one time not related at all. Hmm. And, um, you know, it's it's easy to work with him because uh, we very much believe in the same type of work, so hmm. to speak, in that same, you know, and... Um, uh, it's, it's never, it's, it's just, it's always just easy and... Um, so it helps your performance, it helps the work, or it impacts it, the fact that you are acting opposite your brother? I think what is the larger impact is that he's such a good actor. So mm. like whenever you're opposite another good actor, there's an impact, right? Because yeah. the, the dance gets a little more nuanced and the dance gets a little more complex and or more potent, so you're just kind of... And so that's what it is, right? The fact that he's my brother is just a bonus, and um, but I don't, I don't really feel like it plays into it in any um, typical way. I think it's just there, maybe in some way. But there's a trust there for sure. Hmm. Like you know, we because we've gone places, like we've done all kinds of crazy stage stuff, and we we've done scenes at the Actors Studio in L.A. together where we. Where we we've really kind of pushed boundaries together on stage and taken risks on stage together. So there's it's it you're gonna feel safe. But you know, felt that way with Ponovich, felt that way with everybody else in that cast as well, right? You know? Yeah. Uh, so that that's also an, a pretty a small, but I find a very incredible cast as well that I'm very lucky to be part. Yeah. of. Yeah, and I I did breathe kind of funny there because honestly, Alex's name comes up in like 87% of the episodes. Like, I think if I were to go back and look, uh, he really, he is such a big guy around town with a big presence, you know? It's incredible how often, like, I, we, there are some of my listeners who do have a Yver screen scene drinking game where, you know, they have to finish their glass if uh, Alex's name is mentioned. So, so people are getting hammered right now. Uh, well, y- y- listen, uh, he's he's just first and foremost just a wonderful human being, and and he's also a, a really a really good actor. So you put those two together, and you just want to hang out and make movies with those people. And we're lucky. I feel like this town has a lot of that. You know, yeah. I, I, at least the community I'm involved in. I feel like this town has a lot of really good people that are also really good actors, and and you've had a lot of them on your show. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and we put, well, Tony put 
that cast together, you know, we knew right away, well, yeah, now let's not go fuck it up because we got an opportunity to really do something. And um, yeah, so. Okay. And those are three genres. The ones that we're talking about volition, true fiction and, and daughter, you know, like very, like in the, you know, if you're on a streaming service, they would be slotted in different, in different, in different uh, categories. The, the sensibility that you as an actor bring, though, the actor's toolkit that you bring, is it the same for every genre? Or do you need to bring different tools if you're like, OK, I need my I need my uh, sci fi toolbox for volition um, today? Yeah, I, I don't I don't really think that way. Um, I, I wouldn't know how to do that if I thought that way. I mean, I think we all have to understand the genre we're in. You know, I think uh, knowledge is power. Um I approach characters um, the same way. You know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to build an entire life and we're trying to find um, real, you know, create real human beings in these in these in these situations, not stereotypical um, characters. Something like daughter is a little bit easier because it's not stereotypical. It's very emotional. And well, I guess anything could be stereotypical. But the trap you could find with something like volition is. You know, okay, I'm the bad guy, right? Mm. And and or one of the bad guys, and so you just got to be careful that you're not just filling a slot and just becoming a bad guy. And I talked to Tony about that right away when we were first when he was first offered that to me. And he's like, no, you know, we want to really, um, we really want to flesh all of these guys out and and make sure that there's relationship in there and all of that. And that's why I feel in Volition one of the things I'm most proud of is not so much sort of the intense stuff that I do or, you know, all all of that that is demanded of me playing that part of the orchestra of that movie, you know, because I do have a certain job to fulfill, is the relationship between myself and Adrian's character, right? Mm. Is that there was that we always talked about it being a bit of a father-son thing. And so um, that really fed me. And so you're always finding these things that are not on the script, but 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 in the life of the character and the motivation of the character and and really creating from there. And so you have an engine that that propels you just like in real life, you know, and so I don't really place it in 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 genres, although when I did the horror film, True Fiction, I hadn't done much horror. And so there's sometimes leaps of faith, right, that you got to do sort of like, you know. Uh, really, would I do this? Because uh, wouldn't I bleed out by now? <laughs> you know, or, <laughs> uh, or or you know, uh, wouldn't you know? You know what I mean? And yeah, and, you're, and, and they're like, I know, I know, but you'll just bandage it up, and you know, and basically they don't say that out loud, but they're like, it's a horror film, right? Like people know there's certain you you cut certain genres slack on 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 certain things, right? Yeah. You Right. You know, it's like with sci fi, you know, with anything with time travel, it's like, don't think too hard about it. Do not think too hard about it. Yeah. Yeah. There are different different genres have different rules of things that you have to accept. I get that. I get that. Um, As you were talking, I was thinking that these interviews with you often become master classes, really, because you're talking and you're talking about acting. And I'm like, Wow, like I'm I'm not an actor, but I'm learning so much right now, uh-uh. and and which which led me to thinking about Railtown and and about uh. your your acting. Hey, 
I will. I will look for segues. I will build segues out of anything, you are, man. You are on fire. I am on fire. Um, yeah. t- talk to me about Railtown and uh, what's been going on. Um, I'm assuming the last few months have been relatively quiet. Uh, that Railtown was impacted in some way yes. by uh, by the core. Yeah. Well, we had to shut down March 15th. Yeah. We decided on March 15th. By March 16th, the world shut down, but. We had a Sunday class on March 15th and we were, and it was my class that I was supposed to go teach. And on Saturday night, Jen and I were sitting around and we're like, I don't know, man. Like, and I called a couple of students up and I'm like, how do you guys feel? Do you want to go into the class and and give it a shot? We can sanitize, we can do this, we can do that. And there was one of my students that said, I want to come in and and work. Like, I'm not really worried about myself. You know, I'll, I'll, you know, I mean, I'm a little worried. I live with my parents, but you know, and then as soon as he said that, and there was a, there was a student of mine that also was was supportive of it that was kind of um talking to her friends in New York and how bad it was in New York and and mm. so it was it was pretty sobering but um so we pulled a plug on March 15th that means all the classes we had running shut down we were on an all-time high i won't lie the studio had just had Vincent D'Onofrio. Vincent D'Onofrio. Of, I know yeah. he's one of my favorite actors and if you on the podcast if you don't know who he is please IMDb him or Google him. Oh my He's God! The, yes. Yes. And, Jesus. Um, <laughs> How dare you listen to this podcast and not know Vincent D'Onofrio? Oh, don't judge. Don't shame <laughs> them. Go. Don't get learn something new. You'd be surprised when I said to a couple of my students the word uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, they it didn't jump out because they're you know twenty something years old, some of them, and it it just didn't jump out. But um, then you say, but he played this guy in Men in Black, and they're like, oh, that dude. Oh, that guy. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, uh, so he taught a few classes and because um, he was in doing a movie with Viola Davis and uh, Sandra Bullock. He was playing Viola Davis's husband. Mm. And um, uh, oh, and he was, was famously great. on Ghost Wars, which brings us back to the yeah. Ghost Wars, Kim Coates, Sons of Anarchy, Sharon Taylor connection at the beginning there of the go. conversation. There, there you go. go. All the segues. Shout out Sharon Taylor in the house. <laughs> I love her so much. Me too. Uh, and and uh, so that's kind of who connected me, Sharon Taylor and D'Onofrio, because D'Onofrio was asking around and she said, you want to go to Railtown? And so he called me up and he sent me this beautiful email, which was very sweet. Hi, my mm. name is Vincent D'Onofrio. I'm Aww. not sure if you know me. I'm an actor. He's an <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, and, and I was reading this and I'm like, and I wrote him back, do I know who you are? You're like one of my inspirations. But um, so we hit it off right away. We have mutual friends. Yeah. Ethan Hawke is like his best friend. And, I, I you know, I, I know Ethan from when we did Alive, Alive together and so right. on. And so and Kevin Corgan is one of his dear friends. And Kevin and I are pretty tight um, for people who don't see each other, but tight in that way that if we saw each other, it'd be a love fest, you know. Mm. And and so we were at an all time high and then we had to shut down. Mm. And we pay tr- we pay quite a bit of rent at our location because we're in Chinatown and uh, it just kind of worked out that way. Anyway, long story short, I can only say, I can't say everything because there was some legal stuff that went down. But mm. the good news is Railtown looked like it was probably going to have to go under because we were not getting any relief in any way. And I wasn't sure how I was going to be paying thousands and thousands of dollars a month without any income because we're a not-for-profit society yeah meaning we make money when we teach and and students but then we pay our staff yeah we pay our bills and we start over like yeah. you know we're because you are not for profit 
Yeah, we're yeah. very month to month, you know, yeah. and 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 most acting studios are, and and we live another day, and this this summer will be eight years. Railtown exists, hmm. right? And so, anyway, while I was going through all of this, and now you're getting information that when that no one else in the world knows, but by the time you air this podcast, we would have released a press release this week. So this yes. is going to be cool. So I'm telling so you, breaking now, news. But, Except a little bit in the future of when you make the announcement, but you are saying it here first. All right, I'm ready. Give it to me. This is very volition. Um, (gasps) uh, uh, So basically, Christiane Hurt from Rogue's West Actor Studio, who I've known since 1989-90 from acting class, someone who's a very formidable, powerful, intelligent, incredible woman, artist, actor, she runs Rogue West Actors Studio. She was in a dilemma too because she shut down and how do you survive it? Yeah. She called me up and she said, I wouldn't do this with anyone else. I'm just thinking outside the box. Do you want to share a studio space? You can be Railtown. I'll be Rogues. Come look at our space. It's it's beautiful. It's big. It's this. It's that. It has a film, is a room you can teach film class in while you can teach scene study class in, meaning it has two two separate studios in one, which we didn't have. And, um, you know, she sent some pictures. It's beautiful, hardwood floors, and uh, it's on top of celebrities in the ah! heritage building, top floor of celebrities. Spent a lot of time um, in that building. Yes. yes, I danced in that. I, <laughs> after acting class back in the early 90s when I was here, um, we would, uh, before I moved to LA, we would like do acting class, then of course go out and get drunk and go dancing at celebrities because the girls loved it the best. And I was like, yeah, and we just all go party there. It's so, so fun. Of, and they've redone it a little there. bit too. It is such a beautiful building. Great location. Yeah. <gasps> Great location. So long story short, after some sort of negotiations of kind of like how this looks and how this works, we, I feel really, really great about uh, two acting studios sharing one space. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's going to be a hub and it's going to be a very creative, even more creative place than it already is. I feel like I can very comfortable to collaborate with Christian down the line or very or, and feel just as comfortable being a complete and separate entity. Yeah. So and she feels exactly the same way. Yeah. They'll teach on some nights. We'll teach on some nights. The great thing is. There can be a class in that room. There can be a class in that room. So there's lots of of, of, of scheduling abilities. <gasps> what and a relief, I, John! I'm so relieved to hear you're going to continue uh, to be able to do the work with with and for your students. Yes, oh, it's 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 been great. I had some of the the boys mask up and glove up and move me and and like it just and all the guys you know and. Um, and anybody who's drinking, Alex Ponovich was part of that. And uh, <laughs> um, what a and, guy to help and, you move! That's yeah. great. All him and Tomo and Stryker and like some great people. Some great people um, came and helped out Terry Chen, you know. And we were very social distance and masking, and they knew I was in a real jam. And you know, these guys are all in my peer group, and they just did not hesitate. And there's no elevator. <gasps> in that building because it's a heritage building and these men lifted uh you know and it uh, lifted us up to the skies because that's yeah. where we are we're on the top floor <laughs> overlooking overlooking davy street oh, and it's beautiful. just 
And I, and when I go there now, we're still setting up and we're just putting our curriculum together for September because we're not going to open in the summer. We just we just feel like it's too soon. Yeah. Uh, COVID style. Uh, I just go in there and I feel really super creative and super grateful. And it's 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 so much cheaper. And it's just it's just it, the area. We really like the area. So um, uh, it feels like it, it was meant to be. It just it was just meant to be. I am relieved to hear all of this and so excited um, that we get to keep Railtown as yeah. uh, as a school in this in this town. As get keep these classes going, keep these students engaged and learning. Yeah. Um, but how? I mean, you talked about when they were moving you the gloves and mess and all that. How? Like, what impact do you think? You know, I mean, there's still no, there's no cure. There's no vaccine yet for COVID-19. Know. You know, know, we don't, we don't know what we're in for, you know, like how, how do you think that COVID-19 is going to impact? Well, I mean, I want to talk about its impact on all levels of the industry, but let's yeah. start with teaching, yeah. you know, and how you do your work and, and, you know, even like, do, is it going to impact the acting and the way that you, you teach acting and impact the craft? Well, I think it's already impacted uh, how people are teaching because so many people are teaching online a lot yeah. now. I mean, one of the things that it really became a, 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 a harsh reality was I was supposed to do a play at the Arts Club in September. Yeah. Where you start rehearsing. And so when that got canceled, Ugh. but in a, in a way that got canceled where it's like, we have to cancel this season um, because you you know uh, we until there's a vaccine it doesn't look like there's going to be able there's going to be um, a gathering of fifty people or more mm. and then I and then it just it just dawned on me I was like right theater like here we are yeah, you know I do a lot of I, I mean I started in the theater and I try to do as much as I can but I, I'm a film and, and TV actor now. Uh, primarily because of, uh, you know, I'm raising a family and, yeah. uh, you know, and I love film and TV acting as well. And, and I realized, wow, this is really, really going to hit, um, theater hard and, and, and it, and it has, so it's going to impact us in that way where even when TV shows are up and running and still shooting and getting things in the can to put out new content, um, uh, there's going to be no theater maybe for a while until there is a vaccine. So mm. I feel like that's a big impact. I'm not sure how it's going to affect us shooting on set. I haven't been on a set yet since yeah. uh, the restriction. It's only about a be been about a week, but I'm already now starting to put self-tapes in. and So I guess it's getting busy again. I don't know. It's going to get busy, right, John? Because also, I mean, we look at what's happening in America. Like we are not just it's not just the fact that we're in the same time zone as L.A. anymore. Vancouver is also one of the safest places, right? So yeah. it's we have to keep it that way. Yeah. And that's the we thing just have to keep it that way. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, how many productions do we even want to shoot up here, you know? And yet for actors, I'm so excited at the opportunities because, you know, they they probably won't be able to fly up a lot of people to do guest roles and stuff, right? They'll be, yeah. they'll be hiring people, casting people who live here for those kind of roles. I think that's a possibility for sure. God, I, mean, I, I think so. stars are going to be stars and they're going to get them in here no matter what. I don't know. You know, I just I do know it's very mercurial. I do know that it's changing daily. 
Um, you know, I do know that there's a little bit of trial and error. Uh, being on the union board, um, you know, one of the primary concerns we have, which we continually work on, is um, everyone else can be in a PPE. You know, uh, the director can be in a full hazmat suit if, if they choose to. Yeah. But actors, when they start acting, uh, you know, have to be exposed in that way. And yeah. so that's 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 the thing that is a little bit tricky. But, um, you know, um, I don't know. We're going to see. There's some shows that are up and running. But will it will it stop? Um, will it would it ch- will it change the work per se? I don't know if it'll change actors work as much, but it might you might for a while see less grander scope stories that mm. have to do with a lot of crowds or, a, you know, I think maybe if someone's running through the streets of of a, of a, of a crowded place, maybe now they're going, well, let's do it at night. And there's only a couple of people mm. it's at the end of the business day or, you know, and, and you can get creative and make it work. So, um, yeah, the teaching aspect, that's interesting. Mm. Um, because, it is very physical in in the sense of like everyone is usually moving around and up and and, and expressing themselves and spits flying and you know, so um, that's why Railtown and other studios as well I believe some other studios Rogues West Actor Studio too, um, that's why we're not going to open in the summer yet you know we're just going to give it a shot we're, I mean we're just going to wait and give it a shot in September and see where we're at because. Um, you know, it just feels a little early for that kind of interaction. Yeah. And I'm kind of, as a teacher, not interested in social distance classes yet. Yeah. If that becomes the norm because we're living in a completely different world, I don't know. I'll have to adjust. But right now, it just doesn't 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 really. Uh, I don't know. This doesn't feel doesn't feel right. You know. Yeah. Um, and it's summer, man. It's summer. We deserve, we deserve some Is it summer, though, John? Have you looked outside the last couple of days? I was I'm at the beach on the weekend, and yeah. that was lovely. But otherwise, I'm, like, I'm wearing a hooded sweater right now. Like, it's, it's freezing. It's going to get sunny, though. It's going to get sunny. Okay. Um, if it doesn't, yeah. I'm, I'm coming to talk to you. Come talk to me. Um, yeah. One of the things that I, I was grieving at the beginning yeah. of the pandemic yeah. Um, was the loss of, I mean, it was the loss of sharing space with the people I care about, but it was also the loss of going to, to cinemas and going to, to the theater, you know, like for me, it's, that is where, like for me, theater's my church. Like that's where I go to have my spiritual experiences, my catharsis, you know, it's, it is so it's such an important part of how I experience my life and the city. Um, what do you think we lose when we don't have the, the arts and culture scene able to, to run, you know, what is it that we, we need to really like, what are we protecting when we're advocating for, you know, first theater? And for cinemas oh, wow. and well, these well, to come well, back. I think we're going to lose a. I think we're going to lose a piece of ourselves. I think we're going to lose a piece of our humanity. I mean, I feel really, really bad about this generation right now. Yeah. And what they're what they're possibly in for because the, the the telephone, the smart devices, whatever they're called, iPads, this that, all this social media or interaction through texting and all of Snapchat and all that, it's already taken some of it away. Yeah. It's already taken 
you having to go meet the person that you want to hang out with, that you can't hang out with them on the phone. You know, that's, that is, that is huge in the development of a human being. That is huge in the development of having an experience with another human being in the world. And, and I feel it. So I think we're, we've lost that to a certain degree to take away where they can go with other people to, 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 to collectively breathe to collectively take a sigh or shed a tear or like feel the molecules in the room change and everyone knows they change. Yeah. That's irreplaceable, right? Yeah. That's completely irreplaceable. And it breaks my fucking heart when I think about my kids not having that as, 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 as at the ready as I've had it my whole life, you yeah. know, and, and not to say that when I was a kid, I was going to the theater all the time because I wasn't because my, you know, it wasn't my culture yet. But, but, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's huge, man. And it, it, that, that worries me, Yeah, you know, because some of the most cathartic, incredible experiences I've had, I've had in a group setting. I've Listen, there was times where I was, uh, I was meditating a lot and I was, um, chanting with uh, Swami Chidvlisananda hmm. from Ganeshpuri, India, in the Santa Clarita Mountains in California on, like, New Year's Eve. There's and a would, lot of information in yeah, what you just yeah. said. I, there was a, you know, and it was just, you know, I was, I, it was great. I, I was, it was a time where I kind of really was delved into some spiritual life and really found my spirituality wow. um, that existed in me. So that's a whole other podcast. To but, heck yeah, but, it is. But, 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 but here's the thing. I spent two or three days leading right through to the midnight hour of the new year's uh, changeover chanting and meditating pretty close to about a thousand people. Yeah. Someone in front of me, someone behind me, someone in, I mean, we had, they taped little boxes off mm. because people would have their little space to put their blanket and their water bottle and all that, because you were there for days, right? You would go eat or think you'd come back and it was a constant chanting going on. And the place was just so high. And mm. all of it was just from a place of just love and just connection and all of that. And is that going to ever be possible again? God, I hope so. Do you well, know what I mean? You can't do that in Zoom. You can't do that no, in Zoom. No, you can't. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I, I really hope there's a vaccine. Yeah. And I hope that vaccine is safe mm-hmm. and they don't rush it. And um, But... I think uh, I was thinking about this the other day, too. I'm like, hmm, I think I'm part of a generation, at least this because I'm alive. And so I'm part of this generation right now that um, it's when everything changed. Yeah. It's like I think uh, not everything, but when a couple of big things change. And I think it has to do with the possibility now that we are so vulnerable to this type of. Vi- like this type of thing, which is a virus or yeah. a bug, you know what I mean? Whatever that is, a bug, a virus. So, yeah, virus <sighs> plus the smartphone, it's it could yeah. be bad because it's like, well, we're all so separated. And then, you know, some p- people might be like, well, but we have our phones, so we're not really separated. And they'll get you. I just, I don't want. I don't want social distancing and us being all apart from each other and the walls that we're putting up, you know, to keep ourselves safe, you know, to to change who we are, you know, as people. I don't want to lose our humanity, you know, so 
I, it's, it's, that's why I'm for, I'm as a parent too, you know, I mean, we're, yeah. I'm, yes, my kids are interacting with their friends over, my kids interacting with their friends over FaceTime and she's doing musical theater class over <laughs> FaceTime and all these kind of things. But as soon as we could expand our bubble a little bit to include more people, we did. And we're making yeah. sure that, you know, one-on-one -on -one time is, yeah. is important, you know, share, I, can't wait to share space with you again, John. We will. We'll do it again sooner than later, I'm sure. Yeah. In the meantime, we just gotta we 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 just gotta make the best of it, and we have to sort of navigate through through this the best we can by being as uh, easy on ourselves. Like it's 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 been quite a journey, you know. It's been been quite a journey to 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 to, to remind myself to give myself a break. That yes. it's like you know. I put on a few pounds. That's okay. Same. I didn't do the best schooling I could have done today with my kid because I was preoccupied because I was trying to save the studio or I was trying to do this. I was trying to do that. That's okay. Yeah. I didn't eat as well as I wanted to or I didn't get the exercise I wanted to or I, you know what? I haven't fucking cleaned that closet. It's been three months. I didn't do the, the checklist of I'm going to clean the closet and clean out this and, and replant all the plants in the backyard. I did none of that shit, man. Yeah. I did. I, I, yet I was so busy, it felt like. And I had to get into we all got to give ourselves a break and be like, hey, you know what? You're coming out of this. You got we got to come out of this. With with compassion and, and healthy minds, you know? Yeah. And, and that's empathy. a win. Yeah. Yes. And something else that this time has taught me too is that the work that we do is important and it matters, you know, because what is what have people been doing while they've been home? What are they what are they looking to? What are they, you know, uh, finding some salvation in or from so, some distraction in? It's film, it's TV, it's podcasts. You know, it's this work, it matters. I discovered podcasts on a whole other level during the pandemic too, Mark Marin. I got discovered Mark oh. Marin. Oh. I really, I really love Mark Marin's podcast. And so I've been kind of listening to some podcasts. My, and, my, and to be honest, it's my 15 who's turning 16 in a week. He's the podcast guy. Yeah. So he's been turning me on to different podcasts like listening to Obama or Stacey Abrams speak or, mm. or freaking a comedian or whatever and just cooking dinner and listening to other people connecting and not having a, you don't, you don't see, that's why podcasts are great. That's why I love your podcast as well is because, mm. you know, um, people are talking about real things. And when you, when you hear people talk about real things, then again, it brings you a little bit closer because you're like, yeah, so they're feeling that same way. Yeah. Or they're, they're you know, so you're right. We've, it's Netflix has saved their, what about Hamilton coming out? <gasps> Tomorrow. <laughs> Because I know our, our families are big Hamilton fans. Oh, we are such yeah. Hamilton fans. Yes, I will tell Jen. I'll totally be texting her tomorrow. Like, it drops yeah. in, like, midnight. Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. Oh, yeah. I am so ready. <sighs> so lucky for that. Yeah. What, uh, how lucky we are to be alive right now. How lucky yeah. we are to be alive. Yeah. Look around, look around. <laughs> John Cassini, thank oh, you, you so much stay. for spending time with me and my listeners today. Where can my listeners find you and follow you on the social media? 
I think it's Cassini John or John Cassini at Cassini John or Jeff Cassini. At, <laughs> Deja at, at, vu. You totally said the first, that's exact same thing in episode four. Um, and you're continuing it in episode 99. The truth. I, it's, <laughs> one, Instagram, I think, is John Cassini and Twitter, I think, is at Cassini John. I think it's um, Cassini John. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's hilarious. Uh, that is hilarious. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, follow the follow, follow podcast more than follow me. Um, but... Um, and tweet Thanks, some man. podcasts that you like at John, okay? Because he's clearly building his uh, podcast listening list right now. So tweet tweet some names of your favorite your favorite podcasts. Did you know that This American Life has 20 years of episodes okay. that you could listen to? Yeah, I'm on that. I'm getting on that too. I, I, I finally got my own Spotify account. I've been paying for my son's Spotify uh, for years now. And then... Uh, <laughs> And then I, I was jumping on his and it kept blurting his out or whatever, uh, interrupting him when he's on it because he's on it a lot, uh, yeah. which I really love. He listens to music all the time or he's listening to podcasts. And so I got my very own. Yeah. And uh, Why Vera Screen Scene Podcast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, CastBox, iHeartRadio, Lumine, and Luminary, and wherever you listen to podcasts for free. So find us anywhere. John, thank you so much for being here for episode 99 and for your support from the very, very beginning. Hey man, we love you in this city. You are, you are a champion to all of us and you, and you navigate in your own journey as well. And you're very transparent and open and appear. Um, you, you, we love you, man. I I don't know anybody who's got a bad word to say about Sabrina. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Well, thank you for saying that. Actually, I did get an email today um, from somebody who who loves the podcast, not a fan of the quality of my voice. I got some commentary (laughs) about my vocal fry. So like all of the other women of podcasting, uh, I'm my I'm having my vocal fry policed. So, yeah. Welcome to the Life (laughs) Center. Today I'm joined on the line by Tony Dean Smith, the director, co-writer, and co-producer of the thrilling, locally shot sci-fi feature film, Volition. Volition tells the story of a broken man named James, who has been clairvoyant for most of his life. As the film opens, James is pulled into a sketchy diamond scheme with a couple of experienced criminals and their dim but brawny friend from jail, just as he's fallen head over heels with an infinitely cool young woman and begins to have premonitions of his own grisly murder. And that's just the first 10 minutes of the movie, which somehow manages to honor projects such as Memento, True Romance, and The Twilight Zone, while creating something that is very much its own thing. Volition stars Adrian Glynn McMorrin, Magda Apanowitz, John Cassini, Frank Cassini, Alex Ponovic, and Bill Marchant. It was a hit on the film festival circuit and was recently nominated for a whopping 11 Leo Awards. And as fate would have it, on July 10th, Volition is coming to a streaming service near you. I saw Volition twice, once on my laptop and once in a packed theater up at the Whistler Film Festival. I am so excited for people to watch this film so I can talk about it.
with everyone. Tony Dean Smith, welcome to the YBR Screen Scene Podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me, Sabrina. Uh, on behalf of Volition and really our entire cast and crew, we're so delighted by the response and we're just happy to be here talking to you about it. So thanks. Yeah, I, I watched the first time I watched the film, I was by myself, like with my cat. And uh, I was like, there were so many times I'd look at my cat and be like, what the fuck? Oh my God, what is happening? So uh, <laughs> up at Whistler, I was able to do that, like punching Sharon Taylor in the arm being like, oh my God, did you yeah. see that? So, okay, yeah. let's talk about, and I did say to Tony before, there are some big twists and turns in this film. This is going to be relatively spoiler free. We're going to respect the journey because I want everybody to have the journey. But we are going to get into talking about the inspiration and the themes of the film and mm. of which, you know, things like fate and fear are are right up there. So, Tony, what was the inspiration for this mind bending film? Is this insight into how your brain works? Well, I mean, in all honesty, they do say, you know, write what you know. So uh, ah. give me a bit of a, yeah, give me a bit of a wind up on this one. But uh, in all honesty, I've always been interested in this subject matter since I've been a kid. Hmm. Esoteric, uh, science fiction, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, in film school, I actually wrote a short film. Um, again, writing what you know, I was always late as a teenager to everything. So by the time I got to film school, I wrote this short film about a, a scientist who develops a drug that allows him to be early because he's always been late his whole life. But the drug allows him um, 15 seconds of perceptual earliness. He sees, for some reason, small chunks in front of his life. So at that point, I sort of developed this idea of clairvoyance being a very you know, uh, personal clairvoyance. He couldn't see everybody else's life. It was only his. That idea was fun, but it was kind of campy and surface, and I tabled it. Um, and I worked on another short film called Reflection, which, which did well for me at the time. And then a few years later, um, with a bit more sort of salt in my soul and a bit more wounds and experience, I actually was feeling quite stuck in my in my life, in my film career, and sort of trying to figure out how am I going to make those next steps to make the movies I want to make. Yeah. And it's at that moment that I actually realized that my actual fear and my um, my perception was actually a prison in itself. It was actually creating a self-fulfilling prophecy because the more I gave into the fear – well, of course, the thing I was seeing in my future of the thing not happening was coming true. It was not happening. So I realized at that moment that was maybe the missing piece, the character piece to that original story I had about that that science experiment. So it's at that moment that I realized that I actually was James, the protagonist. You know, he's someone as a clairvoyant. He sees ahead of himself. So he's apathetic. Yeah. He doesn't try. He doesn't fall in love. He, why would you if you know what's coming? Um, and there's a real sadness to James. And um, and there was to me at that time, I was feeling very um, detached from where I wanted to, to go and I know how to go there and, you know, all those things. So it was actually very therapeutic to um, build James and the story from that um, from that depth, I suppose. You know, what would it take for me to change my life? I had to face my existential fear of pride and ego. And so for James... You know, he had to face his own death to get off of his ass and do things. Whoa. And that was so, such a deeper answer <laughs> than yeah. I was expecting. So in yeah. a lot of ways, this film is therapy and working through a lot of your own fear and uh, 
existential angst. Wow, did not see. I didn't see that answer coming. Oh, yeah, but but I guess I what's incredible too is did I mean this film has been so well received. Uh, people love it, and you ended up with. An incredible cast as well. Did you see that coming? Number one. And number two, what impact do you think that the success of Volition and how warmly it has been reviewed and received, like how how is like what impact has that had on you as a storyteller? Mm. Especially now that you um, kind of exercise leaned into and then exercised, yeah. you know, your fear. Yeah, it really was about exercising that fear and that demon. Um, I mean, first of all, I should say that I knew you were gonna answer that question or ask that question. So. <laughs> As I butcher the whole joke itself. Anyway. Yeah, that's fine. Um, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Um, you know what? It's been really encouraging and inspiring um, for both myself and for Ryan and my brother and my co-writer and co-producer of the film, where we feel like, you know, we took some really big swings with the film and um, we're such huge proponents of you know proper story structure and like developing character and theme and plot as sort of a cohesive unit. So we took some big risks with like our structure and we knew it had to be a certain way for things to pay off properly. So I feel kind of um, validated on a very small level, but it's a very profound level too, because maybe I'm not so crazy and maybe these concepts that you know Ryan and I continue to, to, to dig into um, have some place in this world. And, you know, we love science fiction, but we love it from a, a more of a, a socially... Uh, aware uh, foundation. So we love Black Mirror, for example. We yeah. love Twilight Zone because they were dealing with actual topics. And so we're dealing with like fate and free will and apathy versus like activity. And we've housed it in this, you know, in this, uh, in this caper. Um, um, it's interesting that you mention uh, Black Mirror um, because the, one of the, cr- the creators uh, of Black Mirror said that they were going to uh, take a break from the series for a bit because the world mm-hmm. is so depressing right now that there's no like place for, for black bears like nowhere yeah. for for it to go like what are you what yeah. like well i guess i mean it's a multi a multi-layered question like i mean the first is you know what kind of stories do you think that you'll be telling now after covid you know after all the experience mm-hmm. of us living in this nightmare scenario and two what do you think um the added element of the pandemic will have on the viewing experience for your audiences. Well, yeah, I mean, it's such a, it's, it's a whole paradigm shift, right? We're living through such an unprecedented time of change. So it's a great question. And I think that in so many ways, I think COVID has almost like shone like a neon light on society and the fingerprints of all the dirt that actually what we've been up to is really coming forward. So I think it's it's actually fantastic that you're seeing these massive institutions exposed. Yeah. And there's a big fight going on. You can see people are really trying to hold true to those old ideals and, and ideas. And and um, and it's not a broken system. That's how it was set up. And I think that film and, and filmmakers and artists, writers, musicians, um, we've always been the courageous ones to sort of try and tell stories about our, our time and our period. And so I think we'll continue to do so. And I think... This new level of, um, wow, of isolation that we've all experienced. I think, I mean, for myself, I know that I've gone through some massive changes in the last three months, actually. And Hmm. I think the whole world has, and for the best. And no one wants to see the economy 
crumble and no one wants to see any of these things happen. But it's very interesting that they, I saw this meme that, you know, was talking about how the, isn't it interesting that the economy is crumbling because we're only buying what we need. Mm. We're not buying what we want, we're buying what we need. And so, you know, I just think that hopefully a bit of organic authenticity comes back. Yeah. That people want a bit of substance and we can maybe look at each other um, with new eyes again. And then as it comes back to volition, it's a really fun it's a really unique time to have Volition be coming out when really theaters are closed. Yeah. You know, we had a, a small theatrical run planned, which was very exciting for us. It's our first time doing any of this, so it's all new and exciting. But um, we love it. We love that people get to be home actually with their families and watch the movie. And um, I really hope VOD is not the new <laughs> global standard because I think the collective experience is so important. Yeah, going to the experience the of sitting in the dark and sharing that that space and you're all staring at the you're all gazing at the same you know rectangle of light on the wall and and having an emotional reaction like there is nothing quite like that communal experience I miss it I mean I love I honestly I do love the instantaneous like I want to watch this and I'm gonna watch it right now and I don't have to put on pants but then like you know to go and eat popcorn and make and also this the nature of like making an event out of something and then having angry heated or emotional conversations about the film you know in the lobby after there's nothing like that um i do want to talk about casting and filming and brothers and all of that but i guess like i also want to ask about the experience you did of taking the film to festivals and having an audience watch it. Like what were, what was the feedback that you received from audience? And was there anything in the feedback that surprised you? Well, yeah, it's been, it's been an amazing year. And we really, honestly, as, as uh, clairvoyant as we pretend to be, uh, we had no idea, you know, what was, what was to come. And so our first screening was the Philip K. Dick uh, film festival. Wow. And uh, that was down in, in just outside LA and it was really great because, I mean, Philip K. Dick is just such a um, – he's the, he's the godfather of, of actually of this, of this genre in many, yeah. many ways. And I actually didn't know too much about his work until after I had written Volition. And then I went back and I read his Exegesis, which is about actually him looking at how his brain was changing and how he was starting to look at existence in a new way. Mm-hmm. But anyway, as far as the festivals go, I mean, the first festival, that one was, um, was mind-blowing. Like, we didn't know if four people would show up or just our family. So it was a pretty packed house, which was great. And I remember at one point, right after the screening, somebody came up to me and was like, oh man, it's just like, you know, it was like memento, but it wasn't. And like, it went in new directions that I'd never seen before. And so it was our first time hearing that sort of, that feedback that we had thought our film was a certain way, but of course you don't know until it's out there. Yeah. Um, So that was amazing. And then, you know, we went to London, we went to Fright Fest which was fantastic. We also found that our film, even though it is grounded science fiction, um, it has an element of psychological horror too, because yeah. it, you know, if you're trapped in your own mind, that's essentially a psychological prison and it is a horror film in that way. So, so that was fun connecting with that audience as well. Yeah. Um, Were there cultural differences? I mean, this is, I mean, you're a Vancouver guy, you, you filmed in Vancouver, Vancouver audiences, and yet you're taking it to America and to Europe. Like, was there, you know, which are different cultures than ours, you know, they do look at the world in a different way than we do here. So do they look at the film in a different way? You know, it's hard to tell, but I will say that there's something I think unique about 
you know, Ryan and I were born in Johannesburg, South Africa. Hmm. So we moved here when I was 12 and he was seven. So our perspective is Canadian, but it's also South African and yeah. it's also a bunch of other things too. And so, I don't know, I think we always try to tell, we try to tell universal stories. Yeah. Characters that have identifiable wounds and across cultures, you know, so it's a good question. I'd have to dig deeper into that one. I think. Okay. I well, you know what? It'll be interesting to to kind of look at that after the film has, you know, been yeah. on uh, on VOD for a bit. Let's talk about the casting because watching the film, it's hard to imagine anybody but Adrian as James. You know, anybody but Magda and John and Frank and Alex and Bill in these roles. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, well, one. Were any of these roles like written for any of these actors or was this all cast after you wrote it? And two, like what kind of qualities were you looking for when you were casting the character of James specifically? Because I mean, really it's, we're looking at the world through, through his eyes. Yeah. Um, I don't want this to, you know, get to the actor's heads, but we definitely, once we started to target the, the talent here, we actually started to write towards them. Um, we, I had had different relationships with uh, with a number of the actors uh, through the years. Um, Adrian Glenn McMorrin uh, is actually someone that I went to high school with. I'm a couple of years older. We went oh, to Point hey. Grey together. Point um, Grey! And, yeah, Point Grey, exactly. <laughs> uh, so great school and great for the arts and all that. Yeah. Um, and he was always so talented. And um, I had made a, a student feature before I even went to film school, which is unreleased. Um, that he was actually the lead in, uh, in that film. And that was kind of like the sixth sense before the sixth sense, uh, before it even came out. And, oh. you know, nobody will ever see that, but, um, but it's cool. Um, so he's just always had this authenticity about him. You know, he's a, if you know his music, it's some of the most beautiful writing I've ever heard and his voice. So he's got this sense about him that he, he's, he's very open about carrying his wounds on his sleeve yeah. And he's very open about being hopeful and also about being, you know, you know, just uh, vulnerable. Yeah. So there was kind of no one else that could play James in my mind. You know, as I started to write the film, I also realized that Adrian and I had made a music video for one of his songs called Seven or Eight Days. And that character in that video is actually dressed like James. Hmm. And when we de- when we designed James, we actually put him in like different clothes and it's more of a more of a gap type of look. Yeah. But then we looked at the video that I'd shot and like we were like, oh, wait, no, that's. That's James. So Adrian's actually always been James, I think, for Ryan and myself. And, um, you know, even when we were looking at different budget models and going with different companies, we still wanted to to cast him. Um, and the same goes for Magda. You know, I had directed Magda um, in film school uh, when I was a guest director uh, like a hundred years ago. And um, she just she just has that that it factor you know she's someone again who's just raw vulnerable real she's got fire in her eyes like i just remember that from the character she played in continuum as well you know that like like a kind of like fiery like fuck you you're not gonna tell me how to live i'm gonna live life on my own terms with passion and fire like i just and you can't fake that you know that's can't fake it oh no and I mean, I'll talk to the to the rest of the cast uh, in a second, but that's really how I cast. Yeah. And I sort of learned that through the, I know Tarantino speaks about it a lot, but he loves all these actors who want to be in his movies, but he can only cast the essence. He's got to cast for the essence because yeah. everyone can act and everyone can like learn lines and is be good at their craft. But, you know, Magda had that Angela factor. Yeah. I mean, 
James is very apathetic to his life because he's been he sees that everything he foresees comes true. Yeah. So he's got cockiness to cover up, you know, his vulnerability. Um, and James um, was perfectly suited, I think, for Adrian and then Magda for for Angela as well, because she's a fighter. She doesn't believe in predetermined uh, existence. She's going to go and take it, you know, by the horns. Yeah. Um, and then as far as John Cassini, I had directed him in Robson Arms. Uh, it was my first TV break. Uh, and he gave me uh, amazing shit on like day one of, of being on set, which was the greatest thing in the world because, you know, I'm very prepped and I like to go in there and I know exactly what I'm doing. But I also used to be an actor, so I leave space for, you know, for the blocking and the discovery. Yeah. But I basically went in there trying to like prove to everyone that I knew exactly what I was doing. And he was like, whoa, 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 cowboy. Why don't you just let me walk around the set and let me feel the characters? But he did it in such an endearing way. And him and I just became best friends, like, kind of since then. <laughs> um, and then Frank as well. Frank I'd cast. Uh, Ryan and I made a short film called Shiva. And Frank played a senator. Um, and again, it was a love affair with the two of us right then and there. And, and Ponovic as well. Alex Ponovic has, you know, we've, we've known each other through um, just friends in the city. Yeah. And uh, we offered the role to him. And we were just over the moon that he said yes and uh, we had a lot of fun developing these characters too. You know, we had table reads and real good sit downs and what we wanted to do. And I think it's why the, the cast and the performances are resonating with people is that even though it's a, it's a science fiction thriller with bad guys and good guys and all that stuff, no one's really a bad guy. Yeah. There's no one out to do a two dimensional thing. Everyone's trying to make their lives better, trying to improve their status quo. And, yeah. Um, they're not characters so for sure. And then you have Bill Mar. Is it Marchant? Marchand? I want to say Marchand. Mar yes, yes. And so, and Bill Marchant, of course. Marchant, who is you know an actor and a teacher and also a, a writer, a storyteller in that way as well. You know, so I find in his performances, I don't know if I'm just imagining it, but I always see some, a little bit something else. You know, yeah, behind yeah. behind his eyes because he has yeah, well, that added. Exactly. And that's why I wanted Bill as well. Um, I had actually edited Bill's feature film, uh, Everyone, uh, a little mm. while ago. And so that's when Bill and I first met. And so, you know, him and I as artists sitting in a room together, crying together, going through stories of our lives together. Um, by the time it came to, to look at Elliot, um, there was sort of no one else that, that I wanted. I knew that if he could grow the beard and do everything that he, what we wanted him to do and go through <laughs> yeah. stages of Elliot's journey. And Elliot has the craziest journey. Elliot, without he getting has spoilers. Like the tough, well, and yeah, no spoilers. But he has like the yeah. toughest, in my yeah. view, like the toughest role he does. in the film. He does. You know, the... So um, difficult. Yes, he's difficult to we play. We can't talk specifics. We can't talk about it. But he's key. No, exactly. But he's key and he's he's been living with, um, God, with trauma for a long, long time. Yeah. And so the way that Bill played it and the way he was just able to like not telegraph any of that his motives are, you know, um, very clear, but also there's something else to them. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was amazing. He was amazing. Very happy. Uh, you have at least two sets of brothers involved in the making of the film. I don't know if there were even more sets of brothers, uh, but, you know, because you, you, um, you had Frank and John uh, playing cousins, and then, you know, you and Ryan were really, in, like, walking, you know, 
like shoulder to shoulder with this film. Yeah. What what did that brotherhood, like literally real life brotherhood aspect bring to the film? And what did it add to the film? Like, how can we see brotherhood on screen, especially because it's not about brothers, but it is right. in a lot of ways powered by brothers. Yeah, no, that's that's true. And very much about about family dynamics. Um, you know, our film actually was an entire sort of family built operation, you know, where my sister was our first AD. No way. My other sister was our caterer. Yeah. Like we had to get this film done and it was going to get done no matter what, you know? And so, um, but as far as the brother angle, you know, Ryan and I are so lucky to be, uh, God, like best friends. I mean, yeah. we are, uh, we can talk about anything and, you know, it wasn't always the case cause I was a little bit older when I was going through my teenage, terrible years but um but we were always making short films together and you know he was always acting in my in my shorts um and uh, to the point where i actually had to write like a contract when he was seven years old that he had to come out and film the scene no matter what um it's a very funny Wait, contract you were 12 he was seven you made him sign a contract why I didn't i do that with my sister i'm i'm four years yeah, older that would have been really that would have been great <laughs> I got some really good legal advice from like Matlock or something that I was watching. But um, yeah, it was signed on like Knott's Berry Farm dinosaur paper, which is right after we immigrated to, to, to Canada. We went to Knott's Berry Farm and it was a, a legal document signed by a very professional 12-year-old director and mm -hmm. just a very rebellious seven-year-old prima donna actor at the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's not like that at all anymore. Yeah. Oh, but you so, still have contracts and stuff between the two of you, or it's good to keep it. Well, proud. we have that one. Yeah, yeah, we have that one. You look at our webisodes. Actually, we made a bunch of webisodes for Volition, which was about the the making of Volition and, and the prep. And you can actually see the behind the scenes of some of those early short films that we made. Yeah, and uh, and the dinosaur paper contract and all of that. Yeah, but no, yeah, what the brother it, dynamic. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, you also had Frank and John, you know, who are. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. both teachers, both exactly. incredible actors, both leaders in this community, you know, like what, what was it uh, like having those, you know, veteran brothers on your set? Yeah. You know what? I think like, I'll say two things. Number one, when with brothers or family, you're able to go to places that sometimes you maybe couldn't with other people. Mm. So that's amazing because Ryan and I can like talk story. We're not talking ego. We're talking story. Yeah. Um, and Frank and John are the same, you know, they are like they're able to go to places with each other knowing that they're actually safe. They can mm. like try, they can. So, but I would say as far as working with those two, I mean, honestly, we just sat back and listened. You know, we, we wrote these characters, we wrote the story, but like we didn't inhabit the characters like these guys did, like our, our whole cast did. And so when we did our table reads and then we did our sort of our, um, our writing kind of uh, workshopping the script a little bit, Ryan and I just sat back and took notes, you know, yeah. and John had things to say about his character and Frank did and about their dynamic as cousins. What would that really be like? And I think they sort of they elevated the script um, in sort of immeasurable ways. Actually. Yeah. Uh, so and they all did that. But but brothers, I mean, I just think family can go there, you know. Yeah. And also go to some nastier spots, too, which um, I don't know. I think a show in the work, their yeah. fight, their um, at different points, like in, in the movie, without giving anything away, is, um, I don't know, real on some level, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> There's always something. There's always, something. you never, you know, even if it's uh, on a subconscious level. Um, yeah. One of the things that I I find amazing, and you reminded me 
of it when you said that your sister did like the catering and stuff is the fact that this film is for all intents and purposes like an indie film i mean it was it was uh it, it was shot i'm assuming on a bit of a budget you know um uh in that vancouver you know uh made with passion and duct tape kind of thing. And yet it doesn't feel, it doesn't have the feel of an indie film in a lot of ways, you know? So, um, what would you do if you had like a lot more money? I mean, like, let's put it like if you had like, you know, um, I mean, you mentioned South Africa, if you had a Neil Blomkamp kind of like budget, you know, like what would you if you had the opportunity to make a film with that kind of budget, like where would you take your audience? Like, where would you take me, basically? Well, that's I mean, in all honesty, that's the dream. And that's been the dream since I've been a kid. And Volition is is actually the smallest thing that I could sort of come up with, which is pathetic. But. As much as I love, like you know, Noah Baumbach and all these other brilliant, brilliant uh, writers, my brain just goes, "This is my easy stuff." <laughs> you know, the yeah, more complex wow. stuff is my easy stuff, for whatever reason. But so I want to. I mean, Iran and I plan on doing it. You know, we have a, a a lot of really, really cool, high concept, grounded stories, both in science fiction and in drama and in sort of the overlap, that are all about. Um, God, the things that actually we're all battling with right now, um, yeah. uh, identity, culture, race, um, humanity, um, specifically, you know, Ryan and I grew up with, um, a magician father and a magician grandfather. What? Uh, yeah. Like literally my first memories of my dad standing on a trunk and raising a curtain, dropping the curtain. And all of a sudden my mom's there. Whoa. My dad is locked in the trunk. So I had a very confused childhood <laughs> in South Africa. <laughs> Um, yeah, you did. But wow. yeah, but yeah. So, so all of that kind of early, both sleight of hands, uh, dedication to craft, uh, the love of entertaining people that was kind of built into all of us at a, at a very young age. Um, and so for Ryan and I, like we want to, we have a movie basically about our grandfather mm. who also suffered through dementia at the end of his life. And so we've, we've built a story about cognition and illusion and mental illness, um, and how they, they overlap. And, um, is there something more to life and the afterlife what is the, what is time and space? We're dealing with those subject matters probably next. On July 10th, people will be able to watch Volition from the comfort of their homes. Can you, uh, can you list off the various ways that people can do that? Yes, I'm actually terrible at this, but I can tell you that it's going to be on July 10th mm-hmm. on Apple TV and all the usual suspects. It's going to be on Voodoo, Hulu, Amazon, Fandango. Um, so just sort of check if you if you just check Volition the Movie, which is our social media moniker, you'll find us. Uh, VolitionTheMovie.com is our website, and you can access um, the various sites from there. And uh, yeah, we're just so excited for people to see it and. We know people have been waiting a, a long time, and you know we hope it's worth the uh, the wait. And it absolutely so much fun. is. It is. Ab- it's oh, fun thanks. to watch as well. Um, and we will have links to all of the various ways uh, that you can watch this in the footnotes for this episode. Tony Dean Smith, thank you so much <laughs> for being here. Uh, where can people so find well. you and follow you? You personally on the social media. Uh, they just have to put up the bat signal and yeah. the guy and all. <laughs> Um, but besides that, no, I'm on Facebook, you know, social media at just Tony Dean Smith, same as Instagram or Twitter, Tony Dean Smith. 
um, say it three times and something else might happen too. So. Yeah, that's literally how I got him here today was I just said his name three <laughs> times. Tony, thank you so much for joining us. And thank Thanks. you to you, our listeners, for joining us today as well. You can find more than 95 additional episodes of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast on Apple Podcast and wherever you listen to podcasts for free. You can keep in touch on social media at YVR Screen Scene and by email at sabrina at yvrscreenscene.com. I appreciate you all very, very much. This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North, before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com.